This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rivals. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Talking Handlers. Derek C. Apollo is my co-host today. Jared Timms in our Monday. It is a Monday podcast, not a Sunday. Unfortunately, we got a little bit busy around here, but we're here. We're here to talk some baseball and go through some of your questions with you as well as visit with Zach Mizell for The Athletic about the Indians and see where they are for this season. Yeah, first things first, Jared, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. You know, it's... Uh we're getting pretty dang close to actual baseball season. I'm getting to the point where it's like, man, I'm ready for spring training to be over. I'm ready for actual baseball. But, you know, it's it's, it's fun to see all the young guys out there and uh, doing their things. So, and seeing, you know, how this team's looking and Charles Barkley and all that fun stuff. To Charles Barkley? I did, yeah. Charles Barkley was at Angels Camp today. Kind of weird. I didn't expect, like, I woke up this morning and it was like, well, Charles Barkley. I don't know. Yeah. You never know. Show up, honestly. You never know. Yeah. But hey, who's he cheer for? Is he an Angels fan? I don't think so. Is he? Like Joe Madden fan. I think he's friends with Joe Madden or something like uh, that. Though, though he. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of basketball fans. I mean, I think if I think the Angels did like a basketball type theme trip last year, anyways, where everybody wore basketball jerseys. I don't know. I don't know if anybody wore a Charles Barkley jersey, but I mean, Keenan Middleton has played basketball in the past. I think he was going to be a basketball recruit going into college but pick baseball instead i mean mike trout's a big basketball guy i think there's a lot of guys and you know tyler skaggs is a huge uh, lakers fan so i mean there's a lot of a lot of basketball that that goes on and i saw a video of charles barkley hitting a golf ball at angels camp and it swing looked good not as good as mike trout's but his swing looked good yeah but the say way you're talking about hitting the golf ball <laughs> For those who haven't seen it, you have to go on Twitter and see the video of Mike Trout absolutely annihilating a golf ball. I mean, not kidding. The guy probably could have been. <laughs> I just thought of Happy Gilmore. I just did. I'm not sure why I thought of him because Mike's not Happy Gilmore, but that's what I thought of when I saw him whack that ball. Unbelievable. 
No, oh, yeah, and, and and the crazy thing about it is, if anybody's been at Top Golf, you, you know this. Those clubs are not great. Like I went to the I went to Top Golf for the first time about six months ago and was expecting some better-ish clubs, I guess. But those clubs are like 1990s clubs. I mean, can you imagine if he would have gotten like you know a solid golf club in his hand that he could have hit with like I, I think i heard somebody say 180 miles per hour off the golf club which is stupid with that type of thing i mean it might, could mike trout have pushed like 200 miles an hour if he had an actual legitimate golf ball and golf club like that, that'd be insane to think that i mean i don't know i don't know but you know where else he struck gold on right you see twitter tonight what do we got tonight well apparently mike has a baby on the way. Just put it on Twitter. I want to congratulate Mike, T- Mike Trout for his <laughs> announcement that he has a little one coming on the way. This is Baby Trout due August 2020. For all of you bleeding hearts in here, this here's what he wrote on Twitter. Baby Trout due August 2020. I don't even know where to begin from seeing your heartbeat for the first time to seeing you dance around mommy's belly. We are truly blessed, and this is only the beginning. So congratulations to him. And I know what's weird. I absolutely know it's weird, but as a dad of two girls, I get it. I totally get it. All right, so all the warm fuzzies out of the way, let's talk some baseball. First things first, though, we do want to remind you that we are still a fairly new podcast. We're trying to build our footprint up, and you can help us do that. If you hit no Apple Music and you subscribe... To our contest. The current contest we got going on is a big one. It's a five star review. Leave it in Apple Music. You have to write it out. If you do so, take a screenshot and email it to us at talkinghills at gmail.com. Guess what? You're in the sweepstakes for opening day tickets. And we have to get this done soon because I believe we are at 85 five star reviews. We need 15 more to get to that magic number to get this contest over with. Otherwise, I guess we'll just send John to opening day. Is that what we'll do? <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I'll be there. I know that I'll be there. So well, I mean, when we do John, <laughs> my gosh. Oh, by the way, they're playing the Astros. So, I mean, go for crying out loud. 15, five-star reviews. By the way, again, if you don't listen to our show and you just are trying to win a contest, don't. But it's, if you enjoy what we do, if you enjoy the product we put out, this is really about doing it the honest way. And if you believe we deserve that five-star review, please go ahead and go post it up there. And we'd really appreciate it. And if you want to leave us some feedback as well, always appreciate talking halos at gmail.com. Again, it's a great place to send it. You can send it to us on Twitter and our DMs. Our box is open there. It's open on Facebook. It's in the group. You can leave any kind of feedback you want. Just please, you know, we appreciate any kind of feedback you can give us. Helps us be a better podcast, helps us be a better team. Okay, so tonight's focus really is about just going at some of the stuff, catching up on spring training. Um, we really haven't covered too much yet. We're kind of kind of watching from a distance. There are some questions, and first things first, though, Jared, what are you getting so far on spring training? How's it going out there? You know, it's uh, it's interesting. There's the, it's, it's good to see a lot of the young players. I think I mentioned that already. I, I, I love seeing all the young players out there playing you know, and, and, you know, the future and all that. Adele, you know, I know Marsh got hurt in the first game, second game of the year, and that's the, that was unfortunate that happened. That's going to keep him out for, I think, the rest of spring almost. But 
you know, it, it was good to see him out there playing. And, you know, the, the first Angels runs were scored by, I think, none other than Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh. So, I mean, that, that's that's the future right there. It's, it's great to see it, you know. It's good to see, you know, Anthony Rendon, Rendon and Mike Trout and all the all the guys that are that we normally see. But it, it's even more fun to see the future and what, what the future has to hold. And I think the future is bright. I, th- I don't think we can say that enough, so... Even with Marsh being out, you're you're pretty confident in him still. It's kind of like a repeat of Adele. What does that do to affect this season for this year? I I don't know. I haven't heard too much. I, I mean, I saw somebody say that he's. I mean, he, I, I've seen him around the field too. Um, he's been at games. I, I'm not out there, but I, I see pictures of him and all that. So he he's out there rehabbing on you know all that fun stuff. Um, it, it was a good thing that it wasn't anything more serious. You know, we've I think Glaber Torres um, two years ago, I believe it was Torres um, uh, had had to have Tommy John surgery on a somewhat of a play like that, sliding in home that home plate. He tore his UCL, so it was good to, good good that that didn't happen to Marsh, and he was going to have to miss all of 2020. But but yeah, you know, I mean, it's a it's a minor setback. I, I think he's still going to probably be ready for. Um, minor league opening day wherever he is whether that's in um, you know double a or triple a i would assume he'll be in triple a um, maybe he'll, he'll get a little bit of extended spring training in but i think he'll be more than likely ready for opening day and you know it's he's he's that much closer you know to to make an impact at the major league level you know he's a, he's a top prospect to, he's a you know top five prospect in all you know the angel system and he's a top 100 prospect in basically everybody's list, so it's that's a it's a good problem I guess the Angels have with all this depth right now too. Remember, Jeff Fletcher also mentioned on Twitter the other day that there are some scouts who are saying that was it, it was Jeff Fletcher right who mentioned that some scouts are saying that Marsh is higher on their list than Joe Adele is. I don't know if I I don't, I don't remember saying that. Um, if if you're talking about you know, they're Adele's gonna be really good um the swing and miss factor scares me a little bit you know that that's just that um brandon marsh is a better hitter um is he gonna hit for power like joe adele has probably not um so i mean if you're looking at a value standpoint joe adele is going to be more valuable down the road but um and why he is a higher ranked prospect but brandon marsh could very well end his career with more hits than joe adele you know if, if all goes right so in I think they're pretty similar athletically. I think, you know, there's, there's the only big difference is going to be the power where Marsh is probably going to give you 10, 15, maybe 20 home runs. Adele could pop off and give you 25 to 40 home runs a year. So a little bit of a difference there, but I, I, I could, I see the argument there. I do. I've, I've always said it and I going to continue with it. I think that Brandon Marsh is in a way somewhat, more ready than Joe Adele is for the big league level, made at the major league level. So even with this injury, you know, and because of that swing miss pack factor, yeah, that's that's always kind of been a real, I guess, thorn in my side with Adele. I mean, I've had people tell me, "Don't worry about that type of thing," but for me, you know, swinging and missing, I know it's part of the game, and that's how it is now. But I mean, if you're swinging and missing at a Forty percent clip, thirty-five percent clip. I'm not a huge fan of that. I don't think you're quite major league ready. Even though he's going to be a star, you know, don't don't get that wrong. I know um, somebody's going to at me and say, "Oh, Jared, you're an idiot." But you know, I just I'm not a huge fan of the swing and miss factor. I've said it since he was in single A, and you know, we saw glimpses of it last year. I think we saw it down about ten percent at some points in time, and that's a good thing to have. 
So we'll we'll see how he develops in AAA. Um, and hey, he could go off and bat 400. Who knows? And that would be huge. And he'll be up in May, June, for all we know. But you know, for the time being, as long as that swing and miss factor is there, I'm not I'm not totally sold on it yet. Gotcha. All right. Well, we have some other questions out there. A lot of it even comes from today because of what we saw in the bullpen. We asked. One of the groups on Facebook, we asked a group in, in Twitter about uh, who or what questions they have. And right away, I got a couple of really interesting ones. Here's, here you go. Here's the most, who's the most likely star to make the rotation, assuming the worst for canning? And that comes from Jacob Cisneros. Well, when you look at it right now, I, had, I put the rotation down. I mean, you go Bundy, Tehran and Heaney at the moment um, with the question marks. I mean, Otani's not quite, you know, he's probably, we already know he's not there yet. Um, Canning's now a huge question mark. You have Sandoval, you have Suarez, you have Berea, you have Pena. JC Ramirez supposedly has his velocity back um, or somewhat back. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. I, I like him as a reliever, if, if anything. Um, and then Dylan Peters at the very least. So, I mean, there's, there are pieces there that are interesting and everything. They're still missing a pitcher, like we've always already said. And you know, it's it's they need they need a fourth starter for now. I, th- I think they can go about three weeks, two weeks without using a fifth starter. So that could actually mean that Canning might be, in a sense, ready if he's completely held. Like you know, if he progresses better or, or you know at the at the pace that he's supposed to, it gives him. I guess a month, month and a half, really, before he needs to completely be ready, before they need a fi- fifth man. So we'll we'll see. I guess um, I, I at the moment, I guess it would be Bundy, Tehran, Heaney, Sandoval, Suarez, in no particular order there. If I had to pick an opening, like if I had a gun to my head right now, that would probably be it. Uh, though Berea has been decently impressive this uh, this um, this spring, you know. So I. Or and you can go for, with the opener. Matt Andres is kind of interesting as well in that sense, though I like him in the bullpen a little bit more. You know, so it's it's one of those things where you know you could go bullpen days. You could do that. You know how they did last year. I know that's not everybody's favorite, but I mean it's 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 an option at the moment. So your guess is as good as mine when it comes to starting pitching. <laughs> well, I wanted to go to Jaime Berea because he came into camp in a lot better shape than he looked last year. How different does he look? Does it look like that maybe? Mickey Callaway can make a difference with him. Yeah, I mean, he was, a, I guess, a top prospect in the Angels system at one point. He's not going to overpower anybody. He's got the good He's got the good off speed. They threw the slider a lot last year. Um, they just didn't really, you know, use him like they should have last year. I think, if I'm not mistaken, we saw, you know, the slider go down, um, the fastball go up. They were trying to pitch him up in the zone with his fastball, and that's not something that Jaime Berea really was used to doing. Um, so it it'll be it'll be interesting that uh, Jaime Brea is a total option. It, it, it's going to be interesting to see how Callaway works with Brea. I mean, he's definitely a viable option, even though you know the pitching staff wasn't great last year by by any means. I think that the philosophy wasn't what it was supposed to be. You know, it didn't work. They didn't have the right pieces to use the philosophy that um, Doug White was using. So. If they go back to how they were originally using him, you know, pitching down in the zone, working his changeup, working his slider, it, it's it's a, something that they could work with. And at the end of the day, he could be a nice four or five starter, you know. All right. So other questions, just from Facebook, kind of going with the pitching. 
the question here is down and dirty with our current bullpen. Can we make the playoffs? I think the bullpen's kind of the least of your worries at the at the moment. But for for right now, the the bullpen that I have again in no particular order: Cam Pedrosian, uh, Justin Anderson is going to start the season on the DL or on the IL. So there goes that. Uh, uh, Hansel Robles, Ty Butchery, Noah Ramirez, and Keenan Middleton, and they have a lot of pieces to pick from. Um, hold tight, I have this whole list here, so I'm going to name it off you. Taylor Cole, Luke Bard, Matt Andres, um, Kyle Keller, Mike Myers, Felix Pena even, who could also be a starter. Forgot to throw him in the mix. Um, Jose Quijada, uh, Neil Ramirez, who got hit around a little bit. Michael Kahn's, you know, an old friend that's in that mix as well. Ryan Butcher is interesting. He, you know, lefty specialist, which is going to hurt him with this new rule. I don't know how if they can even use him but he's been pretty good this spring hobby milner um again he could almost be a spot starter as well i think he started a, a game or two uh, parker markle and adrian de Horta are all super interesting pieces that you know they could be part of the bullpen and mm-hmm. honestly you could pick from a hat and they might be part of the bullpen so there's no need to worry i mean folks freaking out on social media with cam Trojan having a rough day and i'm sitting there thinking dude you guys need to chill, man. Cam Bedrosian did spring training. He's experimenting pitches. I mean, his fastball was in the 70s from what we're hearing. I mean, that's not what you're worrying about right now. Why are you worrying about spring training? It's spring training for a reason. And I couldn't believe the reaction to it. I mean, the total freak out. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I, I didn't see his fastball in the 70s, though. If his fastball's in the 70s, then maybe something we need to freak out about. I don't think it was. I Maybe in the 80s, I would assume. Um, but, but yeah, you know, there's no reason to freak out right now. You know, I mean, it's only spring training. You're only playing for the Cactus League title. I mean, what is that going to get you? That doesn't get you, uh, you know, doesn't get you a World Series. It's, it's, you know, players are getting their work in. Remember Shohei Otani was, what, 89 to 92 his first spring training. And the whole United States was freaking out that Shohei Otani wasn't pitching well and then decided come, you know, his first start, let's, you know, start pumping out 96, 98, touching triple digits with the disgusting split finger, disgusting, you know, disgusting curveball. And I think he's got the slider as well, but also disgusting. So, you know, I mean, there's no reason to freak out in spring training, um, even about Mike Trout. You know, even if Mike Trout was struggling, which he's not, you know, there's no reason to freak out in spring training. I mean, he's been, he's had his slumps here and there. He had some slumps last year and did just fine. So I'm not going to worry too much about it overall. Uh, let's see what else here. Finishing up the pitching part of it here. Who do you see being the opening day star? This is from Ruben, Ruben Ayala. Mm, if I had to, you know, had a gun to my head and I had to pick somebody, I guess I'd say uh, Andrew Heaney. You know, I guess Dylan Bundy's been looking good. You could even go Julio Tehran, and it wouldn't surprise me. Um, or even Patrick Sandoval or Jose Suarez or Jaime Britt. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I'm not a huge believer in a, you know a pitching rotation. I think that you know as long as your pitchers are pitching every fifth, sixth day, it gets the job done. You know, I I, I don't think I've paid to a, paid attention to the Angels pitching rotation in the past two or three years, obviously because they've had issues with it, but. You know, it's not something that I would worry too much about. But if I had to pick somebody, you know, I guess Andrew Heaney would probably be my guy at the moment um, with Dylan Bundy as a very close second, if not the opening day starter. 
What's your assessment on Bundy now? I mean, I'm thinking, judging after we talked to the Orioles guy, we've been seeing a lot of good stuff from him in camp this month already. I, I like what I'm seeing. I, I like the changes that they're working him into. Yeah, I, I've been a fan of this move I, for a while now. Um, I, I've been hoping for Dylan Bundy. He's kind of been on my radar ever. You know, for the past two or three years, hoping that Angels would kind of pick him up in some capacity, um, and we're finally seeing it. And it's it's he'll be the first one to tell you it's not easy to pitch on that type of team when you're losing almost every single game. It's it's not easy to do that, and it's going to be nice for him to go to a ballpark that you know the ball doesn't fly out like it does in Camden. It's going to go to to you know one of the best defenses in baseball. He's going to go to an offense that could be one of the best in baseball as well. So. Everything's adding up to be nice, and hopefully the Angels, you know, put a good philosophy around him, and you know, Mickey Callaway can do his thing with it too. And you know, I, I see no reason why he can't be a two-three win starter. Well, we'll find out. I, but I like where he's going. I do think they've got the right mixer. I think they went after him knowing what they saw on film as a guy. He's a guy that Mickey Callaway can work with, and I'm not saying he's a Cy Young or winner or anything. But I think the Angels are going to be surprised. These fans will be surprised at how well he does. All right. From the Angels fan police, he calls himself. This is Kent. Okay. <laughs> this is Kent Hit, W-R-I-S-P on Twitter. He asks, who would win a wrestling match between me or TBWBS being Taylor Blake Ward over a locked on Angels? I'm going to... I mean, of course, I'm going to say me. Even on the busted knee, Taylor Blake Ward, I would, I'm, I fight too dirty, got too much military in me. But I'll give you a shot. What do you think, Jared? I have no answer on this. I love both <laughs> of you guys. <laughs> I can't believe you asked that, but there you go. Um, any more questions? He'll be, from he'll Twitter? be, he'll be hearing about it. Uh, I'm sure I'll, he will. I'll, I'll message, I'll message both of them and see what they have to say. Both can't hit with runners in scoring position. I know who you are, and Taylor. They'll both be hearing about this, and I'm sure I'll be hearing about this too. Said that question, okay? Um, from Bill German, can Jose Bricenio? Did I get it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bricenio, Bricenio. We're close. We're Bricenio. Close. Like. My gosh, beat out Max <laughs> Dassey for the backup catcher position. Uh, only if Max Dassey and Anthony Ben Boomer hurt. Um, which Stassi is already hurt, so we may see Bim Boom win the job. I think that Bersanio is a going to start in AAA no matter what, and we hope not to see that many injuries that we have to see Bersanio. But, you know, at the moment, I think you go Castro, Stassi, Bim Boom, and Bersanio. If not, I mean, you have a guy like Jack Kruger who, if he has, he's been okay this spring, um, pretty solid defensively, has a good arm, um, calls a good game as well. So, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw somebody like Jack Kruger before him, um, either. even though the hit tool really isn't there with Kruger. But, you know, he was on my top 30 prospect list last year, and he had a down year, but the defense is there, and it's, you know, kind of nice to see that, especially since catcher's defensive position. But I'll say, you know, you need another injury to see Brissanio win that job, or you need to see him hit a home run in every single at-bat, and frame pitches very well, <laughs> you know, because I got Bim Boom ahead of him, and I think Stassi's ahead of both of those guys at the moment, so. All right, here we go. Here we go. This I, I'm I'm saying this because I, I get where this is going to go, and oh, boy, here we go. Jason Lee Wolford Sr. asks, 
Is it me or is Fletcher a much better option at second base? Yes and no. I think he's more valuable as a guy who can play every position rather than just sticking him at first base. Um, I like Tommy LaStella a little bit better at second base anyways, not from a defensive standpoint, just because the bat plays better than David Fletcher's does. Um, I like Fletcher even starting in right field um, this season, in a sense, with you know platooning with Goodwin, which would be super interesting to see, or heck, even moving Justin upped into right field. I know right field's not an easy position, and it's not an easy transfer, and we haven't seen that yet, and I don't think we will, but you know, a platoon of David Fletcher and Brian Goodwin in right field and, you know, Luis Renifo and Tommy Listella at second base. Third base is pretty covered. Shortstop's pretty covered. So, you know, Fletcher's a nice piece to have defensively. You know, like I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, every playoff team has a David Fletcher and now the Angels have the depth to use David Fletcher how he should be used. So I... I I love it. You know, I think he's going to play 140 games and not get as many at-bats as what he should. Um, but he's going to play stellar defense for you. You know, it, it's good anywhere you go. <laughs> All right, here we go. The backup to that. Fall question, why was Ausmus and Madden both so enamored with Listella? I like the guy, quote, but Fletch is a perennial all-star in the making. I mean... Lestella was an all-star last year too, right? <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, before here it is like he had 16 home runs before, you know, the all-star break last year for his second baseman. He was, I think he had almost the most by the second basemans before the all-star break. So, you know, I, I, I get it in a sense, you know, Fletcher's, Fletcher's good, trust me, and he's a fan favorite. The bat doesn't play. I'm sorry, the bat doesn't play for me. He's a very good defender. That's where his value is. And I, I'm going to continue to say that. He, he's going to play defense. He's going to play at third base. I mean, I'd be perfectly fine with him starting a game at third base, a game at shortstop, a game at second base, and a game at right field every week, once a week. And I'd be totally fine with that. But just keeping him at second base, just keeping him at right field, I don't. That, that kills his value for me, you know? Like, he's just less valuable if you keep him at one spot. So let him play multiple positions. He can do it. You know? Heck, even let him catch. Let him catch. They need the help. <laughs> they need the help. All right. So moving on, moving on. We sat down with the athletic Zach Mizell a while ago. I'm, I gotta be honest. I, I did this interview quite a bit ago. I thought we'd have it out by now, but more content kept flowing in. I gotta get it out before spring training ends, though. So I got. He's got a lot to say about the Indians. You're gonna hear my views on. I remember I live out east. I live between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. I see a lot of these guys. I see a lot of what goes on here. I went to see the Angels on the road last year in Cleveland. I saw firsthand how great Cleveland fans can be. And then a couple of days later, they got some stuff going on. So without further ado, here's our interview with Zach Mizell from the Athletic covering the Cleveland Indians. Check it out. All right, folks. Here is Zach Mizell from the Athletic in Cleveland. A, a author, Clevelander, proud to be Cleveland. How you doing, Zach? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, I just saw you have book number four coming. I just want to ask you, what's this book about? Um, I think we can talk about it. I think there's a blurb about it on Amazon now. Uh, it's uh, 
retelling, I guess, of the 1995 Indian season. So when they had a 41-year playoff drought and kind of rejuvenated the franchise and the fan base and had a magical season with 100 wins, went to the World Series, and just had a, a cast of characters. So it's uh, you hear from all of them, and it's a fun look back at maybe the most memorable season in team history. It's the best Indians team I've ever seen. And in other years, I think they probably won World Series. So <laughs> I'm interested to see this book. Yeah, I mean, you can make the case, and I get into it a little bit toward the end, but that it might be the best team ever that didn't win the World Series. And it makes it tough to, um, I guess, assess where they stand in baseball history. You, you think about it, if, if they win the World Series that year, I think they're probably considered one of the best teams of all time. But because they fall short, it's they're in this awkward gray area. Um, but certainly in Cleveland, that's, you know, for anyone who can't remember what it was like in 1920 or 1948 to win a title, that's that's your golden standard, 95. I remember that you're very well, I was a teenager at the time, making me feel old. So getting into this year's team, though, the Indians, I'm a little confused as to where they're going because you're hearing news of them possibly looking at the trading Clevenger, and of course the Angels now have been reported talking to the Indians about that, or trading Lindor, and the thing that's frustrating about being someone who is has several Indians fans in the family is you know this team is never long for their stars. They don't tend to keep them. What is really going on with the Indians right now? Are they looking to just go ahead and start rebuilding? Are they trying to hold out one more year? Can you help clear that up? Yeah, so, I mean, this started when they brought Terry Francona to Cleveland 2013. Um, it hasn't been all roses since then but they technically have had nothing but winning seasons and their goal is to avoid what the tigers have done the royals the orioles um there's a handful of national league teams they don't want to bottom out and a big part of it is because their attendance is not great as it is and i think they believe if if they bottom out and lose 100 games a year for three or four or five years they might not get those fans back and so they need to stay relevant. They've played in a division that the last couple of years has not been competitive, so they've been able to use that to their advantage. But the goal is to continue to put together winning season after winning season. And it becomes really difficult to do for a longer period than they already have. I think you look around the league, and like even the White Sox have admitted that yeah they're ready to contend now but, but they've even i think their gm rick Hahn has said like you know we're ready to contend for the next five or six years this this window we have well the indians refuse to even say the word window um they, they think of this as if we draft and develop properly and trade players at the right time it'll just be a cycle of talent that keeps coming up and and keeps them as a winning team it, it's hard to do um and, and it's why they've had these difficult decisions. And, and I think some fans or, or maybe people in other cities or, or on the national level have had some difficulty understanding it. And it's there's no guarantee it works. Um, but as of now, I mean, they're still projected to be a winning team, a playoff contender. And, and when you are those things, you're pretty much by default a World Series contender because we've seen 
anything can happen in October. So long story short, you know, they've got a, a pretty good farm system that's really young. I think in like a year or two, it's going to be one of the better farm systems in baseball once some of those 18-year-olds get some experience. And you start thinking about the timeline, and you're thinking, okay, well, you know, Francisco Lindor sticks around Cleveland. He's got two years left. Jose Ramirez has, I think, four years left in Cleveland. Clevenger has three. Like, you're starting to see, okay, when those guys then reach the end of their string, you'll have this new wave coming up. So I think they're trying to decide, is it make more sense if we keep Francisco Lindor? Um, does it make more sense if we trade him and get younger and, and start this process earlier? But it's all in an effort to avoid that dreaded tanking word, and, and to this point, they've done it. Well, here's my question on that, because what I've seen as for, on the Angels side of things is they, they basically tried to rebuild in the fly, where they basically put out their same record with Mike Trazzi anchoring their lineup, and we've just seen fan apathy to the point now where Billy Upler's job is on the line out there in, in Anaheim. Isn't there concern here that because the attendance is already a problem, that this could have the opposite effect, that you could just keep competing, but because you, you never really get there, they just kind of plateau and stay where they are in terms of attendance, in terms of, of income, and the ability to out, actually make this team better long-term financially? Yeah, so I think, I think these are the debates that they have, and these are the debates that I, I, mean, I have every day. And, and my argument, I wrote over the offseason that if you end up keeping Lindor, and, and as we record this, that seems to be the path that they're on, then you need to surround him with more talent and not just waste him. I, I think, like I think, there is some fan apathy. I, I think absolutely some fans have been turned off by trimming payroll the last two years and, and by not capitalizing on on the. I mean, they have a lot of talent, a lot of pretty young talent too. Like they have one of the better rotations in the game, even after trading Trevor Bauer and Corey Kluber. They have Lindor and Jose Ramirez, our two MVP candidates most years. I mean, it's. And, and they kind of rebuilt on the fly last year. They they infused the roster with a bunch of young starting pitchers that they've developed. Um, so so you're right in that. Yeah, if if you if you win 90 games every year and you bow out in the first round or fall just short of the playoffs, like eventually that gets boring and stale. Um, but I do think it, it the the problem with tanking is you don't know if it's going to work. And it, it's a slippery slope if you just completely tear it down to the studs and then try to build back up. Because I mean, look at look, like look at the Detroit Tigers. Like, there's no end in sight there. I mean, they, they or, or the Orioles. I mean, like these teams are hoping that some of their young prospects come up and prosper, and maybe they can contend in another few years. But like, you also don't know until you get there. And if that doesn't work, then you set yourself back another few years and. It's like, it's a, it could be a really ugly process for some teams. I, I think people just look at the Astros and the Cubs and think, oh, that model, it's, it's got to be successful. But it, it's not. You have to draft and develop well still. You have to, to hit on a lot of things along the way. So I think the Indians feel like they can continue to build this winter, and I think they're, they're just hoping basically that one of these Octobers, things will, will play there in their favor. But, but to your point, and I, I tend to agree with you, it's like – you know, some, at some point you just have to like dig your feet in the dirt and, and kind of go for it. And, and no one's saying you have to boost the payroll to 180 million or anything like that. But at least like don't cut corners. I think that's the big problem, and I think that's that's kind of the disconnect between the fan base and the franchises. 
fans are sitting here like, we want to support you. We see all this talent, and you've been a good team. Just go be a great team, and, and we'll believe in you. And that's kind of, I think, the chicken and the egg problem that's been going on in the city for a while now. I'm trying to remember the exact quote. So, I mean, excuse me, I'm going to paraphrase it, but I believe it was along the lines of, of Larry Dolan saying, we'll start, we'll start spending money on this franchise when fans start showing up. I'm totally paraphrasing. I look at this team now, and I, I get tired of seeing the Indians fan base getting dumped on. And I, I mean, I, I'm an Angels fan. This is Angels podcast, but I know you know the Angels, the Indians franchise very well. I get tired of seeing the Indians fan base get dumped on when you have an owner who basically puts the onus on you first before saying, you know what, I'm putting a product on the field. That product needs to be to a degree where my where my fans here are, are wanting to come out here and spend this kind of money. They've done it to, I think, a pretty good degree in, in terms of being a consistent winner, but the Indians have, haven't won a World Series in so long. At some point, you're just going to say, listen, I'm, I've been there, I've done that, I've worn the T-shirt, and now I want to wear more than a T-shirt, though. I want to <laughs> I want to show up in the leather, I want to show up in the, you know, the, whole, the whole get-up, and when you're being told... When the fan show will spend money, well, that's not how it really works. Is this my right in this? Is that mentality been the case here, or did yeah, I totally read that quote so, wrong? So it's it's a really interesting debate, and it's it's probably more interesting when you're not embroiled in it um, seemingly every single day. Uh, but it, it's it's interesting because the customer's always right, and the fans are the ones who basically invest with their money or they don't. And I think the problem here is that Indians ownership, and it's Paul Dolan who's in charge now. It's his dad, Larry. It's, I want to say he's around 90 years old now, but it's the same mindset. And the Indians, look, they had a great World Series run in 2016 they blew a 3-1 lead, but like they were running on fumes. I don't think anyone... I mean, you, you hold it again. I think some Cleveland fans hold it against them now just because they've seen how this plays out the next few years. At the time, no one could blame them, and it was a great story. And they then went out and signed Edwin Encarnacion, and they were even better in 2017. They won 22 games in a row. They won 102 games. They were the World Series favorites going into the playoffs, and they collapsed against the Yankees. The problem is Attendance increased that year, and then it decreased the next year. And so the, from the Indian standpoint, their company line is, well, our attendance was still in the bottom third of the league, even when we, were, we had franchise record payroll and we won 102 games and we were still good the next year. I think they won 94, 95 the next year. Um, and, and so... So the problem here and, and why I side with, I'll always side with the fans, is that the Indians ownership group, they're native Clevelanders. The Dolans are from Cleveland. They grew up Indians. Like, no one wants to see them win a World Series more than the Dolans do. But it's like, you have, sometimes you just have to suck it up and act with your money. And, and just, no one's, again, no one's asking them to have one of the highest payrolls in the league. It's just don't cut corners. When there's a chance to build some depth so you don't have Eric Stamets, former Angels middling prospect, and Max Moroff as your opening day infield when Francisco Lindor and Jason Kipnis are on the injured list, like, go get Jose Iglesias. There have been 
so many guys who have signed this year for two, three, four million bucks on a one-year flyer who would be nice depth pieces, nice upside plays. And the Indians don't do it because they have to watch every single penny penny they spend. And fans, I mean, it's it's crazy because I don't... In many cities, this would never happen, but I really do think there's a large segment of the fan base that stays away and that that is apathetic toward the Indians, even though they have been a winning, consistent winner with, with plenty of stability, the absolute opposite of the Browns down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the way ownership has, like not quite gone the extra mile i think fans are turned away and it's it's hard to blame them because like it's it's frustrating when you see all this talent and you're like you need that one other piece you would put you over the top and more than anything it would just boost fan morale like you want them to be invested you want them to believe that you'll do whatever it takes and they haven't gotten that and and you know they're i think they're smarter i think i mean i sat down with paul dolan last spring and he gave the infamous quote about enjoying Francisco Lindor but more than that I mean he kind of said that he has a rosier outlook than than most probably do and that he is a little bit maybe insulated from what the truth is and the truth is that you know most fans can't stand this ownership and it's it's because of that that they don't show up to the ballpark that's really where I was thinking and what I've had these conversations with friends and and you know, it's always been to me the Indians on a public scale, national scale, they're, they're a laughing stock in terms of because they're fans. And then I sit there and say, listen, you don't know the situation in Cleveland. It, it, and it goes similar to other sports that you're local to. If you have a problem with the owner, you're not going because you can stay home and watch the game for free and cheer your boys on. You're not going to go pay money to a pocket of the owner who you don't like. And I go, it goes back to me, that famous quote that I paraphrase about, we'll invest when the fans come. Listen, I'm a business owner. You understand business. That's not how it works. You don't expect people to just invest in you without giving a reason to invest. And I understand now that they're saying there, but now the reason to, to not invest becomes the personality in charge. You don't want to put money in his hands. My question then would be, you mentioned the, the rose-colored glasses kind of you. Do they not realize that they could probably do with a little bit of better, better you know, public affairs work, getting more out in the community and drawing people back in and maybe building it that way. Because honestly, I don't see the, I know the Indians are active in the community, but I know they can do better than they are. Well, I mean, the thing that tells you all you need to know is that while their attendance has not been good, their local TV ratings have been top five for like four consecutive years. Mm-hmm. So people pay attention and they're interested and they want to see the team do well. But they won't, you know, take that extra step to go down to the ballpark, and it's because, like, it's because of ownership for for the most part. I mean, there of course this is a a deeper conversation, and we could talk about concession prices and ticket prices and parking and all sorts of things. But I mean, there are, there is a segment of the fan base that will not go down to the ballpark or be invested in the team and spend their money on the team because ownership won't spend enough of theirs. So I mean, it, it's yeah, it, the thing that makes it so tough is that it's a really good, smart front office that's working with no margin for error. So, I mean, they've made so many trades that, like, an under-the-radar trade last year got them Oscar Mercado. No one even knew who Oscar Mercado was. He turned out to be, you know, in the in the running for a uh, finalist for Rookie of the Year. And 
had a really good year and, and cemented his status as the team's center fielder of the future. And it's like, like they do things like that, and it's I think fans appreciate it, but from afar. And it's like they appreciate it with a caveat, like yeah, like Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff, you know, they they do some amazing things, but their hands are tied, and we wish they could do those amazing things with a hundred forty million dollar payroll. So it, it's tough. I mean, they, you know, at this point, like the Indians hold so many dollar dog nights and fireworks nights and promotion nights that it's almost become a running joke. Like that's how Dolan pays the bills, stuff like that. But um, I, I kind of think there's this, there is this divide between the fan base and um, ownership and, and yeah, they, they, they don't have a very good perception in the city with a lot of people, which is a shame because the Cavs, you know, they're rebuilding and it's going to be a long, brutal rebuild and the Browns can't stay out of their own way. And it's like, you could be the golden child in the city and you could have been that for the last couple of years. Um, but you know, the Indians in some ways can't get out of their own way either. So, I mean, that's unfortunate really, but look at the Indians now this season. Where do you rank them in the American league central? What will be their challenges and where do you think they'll be strongest? I really think it's going to be a three-team race, and it's going to be close. Um, I think all three teams have some pretty significant flaws. I think, I mean, I look at the White Sox roster, and I think that their lineup is going to be unbelievable. The bullpen could be rough. And the rotation, I think a lot of it hinges on two young guys in Angelito and Kopech. And Kopech is like, we don't know if he's going to be healthy or what he's going to be able to do coming back from major surgery. So, like, the White Sox are going to be good, and they're definitely threatening for the future. I'm still not quite buying them as, like, that 95-win team that wins the division. Um, but they'll certainly be in the thick of things. And then, so I, I still think it's the Twins and the Indians. I, I'm surprised the Twins have not done more to shore up their rotation. Um, it's really surprising to me. And, and I don't think they're going to hit 307 home runs again. So I'm, I'm curious to see what they do. Um, and then, I mean, you look at the Indians and it's like their flaws are so easy to identify. They, they need outfield help. Um, it's pretty much down to Marcel Ozuna and Nicholas Castellanos, who they're not going to sign either of those guys because they're going to be too much money. Yasiel Puig's out there. A reunion with him would probably make sense. Um, but they need another hitter. And I, they have enough starting pitching depth. If they want to make a trade, they can make a trade. Otherwise, their pitching looks pretty good. And if... Their, their young relievers step up and, and pitch well. Like Their bullpen should be really good. So I don't know exactly yet. I think if you ask me closer to March, I'd probably have a better way of handicapping this. But I really think all three teams are going to be pretty good and probably beat up on each other quite a bit. And it should give us our first real like fun race in the AL Central in who knows how long. Do you think the that Clevenger and or Lindor get traded this year if things don't go the way the Indians hope? I think if the Indians are out of it in July, I think they would trade Lindor. Um, I don't think with Clevenger. I, I think I, I really don't buy the, the, the trade rumors this offseason. They're, they're certainly not shopping him. I think the Dodgers brought his name up in Lindor talks. I think that got out there. I think other teams then inquired and said, what would you want for Clevenger? I think the Indians told teams, including the Angels, we want the moon and the stars. 
other teams said, okay, thanks, but no thanks, and that's it. You know, I think it's no different than casual conversations GMs have about all sorts of players that sometimes we hear about, sometimes we don't. Um, I, I think the plan with Clevenger is probably to try to work out some sort of contract extension this offseason, and if it doesn't work, then a year from now when he has two years left on his deal, like Francisco Lindor does now, I think then he becomes a really popular name in trade talks. But I think for now they probably hold tight because he's, I mean, he's going to be the ace of the staff, probably a trendy Cy Young pick. And if anything, he could even boost his trade value for next winter. All right. So can you let folks know where they can find you on Twitter and, you know, where they can find your work and you have, again, this is your fourth book coming soon. So you got three other ones out there. Where can they find them? Yeah, all the books are on Amazon, or you can go to the publisher, Triumph Sports, um, Barnes & Noble, anything like that. Uh, you can find all my work at The Athletic, or I'm on Twitter. It's just my name, Z-A-C-K-M-E-I-S-E-L. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. All right, well, Zach, thanks so much for taking time with us. I'm hoping we can talk again when, I, when these two teams play each other this year. It should be a lot of fun. Now there's more stars involved, so that'd be a great series to talk about. And, you know, again, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, the Indians go out to, they go three at Dodger Stadium and then three with the Angels back-to-back. I think it's like Memorial Day that week, so that should be fun. Yeah, and then they, they go out to Cleveland in September, and I'll be, you know, raring for that one. Nice, good weather in September on a weekend. I'm there. Yeah, and probably meaningful games. That'll be fun. Probably. All right, looking forward to it. Zach, have a great one. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. So there you go, folks. Uh, Another tour in the league interview done. Real quick, what is your take on the Indians overall, Jared? I know we we covered the Angels, but you're still a baseball fan. What's your take? They're in a very similar situation to where the Angels were a couple years ago, where they're not – you know, there's – they've brought up quite a few of their prospects lately and you know they have a guy like francisco lindor who's a free agent very soon you know that that's that's your superstar do you keep him do you trade him you know it's that's that's the next big guy first it was trout or harper or now mookie that was traded and next it's going to be francisco lindor who is arguably a top five player in baseball on any given year guys unbelievable you know so could they be a playoff team this year absolutely i totally think they could be they have the pieces too they have the rotation too they have the offense too you know they play good defense it's it's one of those things where are they better than minnesota Eh, probably not especially with the moves minnesota made this offseason i think minnesota has a legitimate chance of winning making it to the world series i don't know about winning but making it to the world series um and the american league is open for the taking at this moment you know the yankees have lost a starter the astros i don't i'm not buying into them right now you know i after seeing everything that's happened to them i honestly think that with the astros it is going to be a long season i think that they're going to be an above 500 team for sure they're going to be probably a 90 win team but you know with how you know the fans are treating them and how everything is going i could totally see the astros not making the playoffs this year. And I could totally see him making the playoffs. I, I like nothing against the Astros. This is cheating scandal, basically aside with everything that the fans are putting on the Astros right now. I could totally see them just 
crumbling. You know, the, that entire organization crumbling this year doesn't mean they're not a good team. It just means that they're you know I, I, I have, they they're due for a down year. This could be it. You know, um, so the the American League is open for the taking at the moment, and I, I the Indians could take it. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, the Twins are a good team. The Angels are a good team. It, even the A's are a good team. The Red Sox are still a good team. The Rays, I mean, they, they, the AL has so many good teams. It's going to be super competitive this year, you know. So back to the Indians, I think they're a good team, and I think that they have a legit shot of making to the playoffs. So I do have to wonder about them overall. Is there a peak over with? I wonder if it is because I'm just seeing all these players leaving, and they're bringing young talent behind them. I I just wonder if their windows are closed here with Lindor probably out the door. I know he stated he wants to stay. I know that he stated that he wants to remain with the, with the club. But you know, as long as they will, they aren't willing to go beyond the bounds spending wise. You wonder, and you kind of if you're an Angels fan, you got to hope that's the case because they have dominated. They have dominated the Angels for what, the past what, four or five years. Well, the Indians have always played the Angels well. I mean. And I'll, not too many people know this. I, you know, you have that team when you're a kid and you like them. This was my team as a kid. Uh, my dad used to travel to Jacobs Field and used to go watch Indian. He used to go watch Indians games and bring me stuff back. And I used to have the full Indians attire. I had a jersey, had a uh, had a hat, and all that fun stuff. So I've always been a, you know, an Indians low key fan at heart and love Jim Tomey and Manny Ramirez and all that those fun guys to see. But but. Yeah, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, you mentioned the window closing, and that that could be happening here, unfortunately. And I don't know if the farm system is quite replenished yet and or what you're going to do with Lindor. I guess if you keep Lindor, you have to keep continuing to put money into your team. I know they're not a huge, you know, revenue team. They're not going to go out and spend all types, all that kind of money. You know, they're not a big market team, but you know, if you're going to keep Lindor, you're going to have to continue to try to keep a winner out on the field. So and they have the, the farm system to do it. They've been able to develop pretty much whatever they want coming up. So we'll see. We'll see. All right, folks, it's time for us to go. If you would like to sponsor us this season, we need that. We, we have to be able to pay the bills around here or we're going to be living out in the barn. So, Reach out to us at, at TalkingHeels.gmail.com. You could also send us a voicemail at 657-665-453. That's 657-665-453. We'd be happy to hear from you. Love to talk with you. You can find me on Twitter at DC Paul. You can find Jared at Jared underscore Tims with one M. I always want to give him two. <laughs> Don't forget us on Facebook, the Talking Halos. Talking Halos group is also there. We're available and more podcasts can be found. And the more you share us out, if you are if you like what we do, the more you let other Angels fans know about us, the more we grow. A couple weeks ago, we got into the top 50. We were pretty proud of that. And we'd like to be there all year. Our podcast numbers have put us up there with our Rams podcast. And, you know, why not pass it? Jeez, why not? We, we have some great fans or listeners here. We really appreciate all of you. So with all that in mind, it is time for us to go. We're out of here. We'll see you midweek, maybe, maybe with a little bit coming from Jared on his top 30. We're out of here. See ya. You can't 
control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.